Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Eagles are on the clock, and we have it covered here for you at BGN. Thanks to the fine folk at SB Nation as well. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. This is episode six of the 2020 BGN Draft Specials, and we're going to do something a little bit different today because as I woke up this morning and I was thinking about who should I have on and all this stuff, and I just wanted to get home and I just wanted to uh, record after after dropping the kids off to school and talk about night one, day one, whatever you want to call it, of the NFL Combine, because now we have some numbers to go on. And I put up a piece on bleedinggreennation.com late last night, about 2 a.m. in the morning, that detailed my winners and losers of the Combine. And that's something that we're going to talk about throughout this process here. First, I wanted to mention some of the guys that didn't run because that's important. KJ Hamler of Penn State did not run. He is nursing a hamstring Hopefully, he's going to be a full go for his pro day. Here's the thing about Hamler. Let's talk about these prospects. Let's get right into it because I'm going to pop this Monster Energy drink. No free ads, but I need a little boost. I'm nice and excited this morning. So let's talk about KJ Hamler, the wide receiver out of Penn State, who is a guy who I just recently broke down on film. I have a bunch of his clips on my timeline on Twitter if you want to see. And the first thing that stands out about this guy, and it's a shame that he did not run because he just pops out on film. This guy is explosive. He has some of the best play speed in this draft. We talk about time speed all the time with guys like Henry Ruggs and and Jalen Rager. We're going to talk about that. I think KJ Hamler pops so much more with his play speed on a consistent basis. Like He is getting on top of guys. One of the games that I watched was the Michigan game. And there was this cat number 14 for Michigan, one of the defenders. Apparently, he was a senior bowl guy. Apparently, he didn't do too well there either. But he was getting on top of him. I mean, the guy was giving him 10 to 12 yards cushion. And there were about three or four times where Hamler just ate him up with his release. And they have this thing called an ISO post. So basically, what this is, is you don't make your break at Penn State on these ISO routes until you get to the defender and then you pop off a post. With Hamler, you can do stuff like that because he is so incredibly dangerous and explosive on film. He got on top of this guy a few times and it was lights out for him, including the the game winning touchdown, which took the score from 21 to 21 to 28, 21, if I'm not mistaken, was the game tying touchdown. So Hamler's got serious deep, deep juice. And I think he's going to run in the four threes if he does, in fact, run at his pro day. And also, I think he's going to do the other drills really well. I think his explosive drills, the jumps and everything like that are going to look really nice for Hamler. Now, the problem with Hamler and why I don't love him and I want to love him because he's super fun to watch. And like I said, just just the speed is incredible. It pops out on film. The play speed, 
the best best in this class I've seen out of the wide receiver class. I'm I'm not even kidding. It's not hyperbole or anything like that. The problem I have with Hamler and why I'm concerned, and I put this up on an article from BleedingGreenNation.com that said, what do the analytics say? So I, I, I got the PFF draft guide, which is fantastic. I've had Mike Renner on this series before. He has a big hand in that. He does fantastic work. And it's nice to be able to see some of these advanced analytics with these wide receivers and then see if that's what, what you saw on film as well. And I did have an issue with Hamler when it came to some double catches and some body catches. And what that led to in 2019 is that he let 12 catchable balls hit the deck for a drop rate of 16.9%, and then had a below average contested catch rate, and he's a smaller dude, below average contested catch rate of 36.4%. So I think with those numbers, you can see why I would be hesitant, but also in love with Hamler when you watch the film. So that's something that you have to be comfortable with when you watch his film, looking at the drop, saying, hey, we can fix this, or maybe this is luck, or you know, these weren't the most accurate passes because the quarterback play at Penn State was not fantastic last year when it came to you know accuracy and catchable balls when they came Hamler's way. So that's something to keep in mind. It's disappointing not to see him run. The other guy that we didn't get to see run, T. Higgins, Clemson. And this was going to be an important one for him. And I hate the reasoning that he used for not running. He cited rest as the reason that he did not run. Now, I know he played deep into the season and everything like that. But come on, man. Like, I'm not going to trust those Clemson Pro Day numbers. They're going to they're gonna be a little inflated. Typically, Pro Day numbers are about, I want to say, 0.09 to 0.13 off, like around that area, depending on the school. Like, it's Ohio State. It's like really bad. Michigan's really bad with it, too. I'm not going to trust those numbers. And, and I, talking all that mess about being in the 4-4s for Higgins, but I don't think he's a 4-4 he's a guy. I think he's about a 4-5-7 guy. And I think that was the over-under on him, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. It leaves a sour taste in my mouth that he didn't go through without you know, having a real injury to deal with. And I understand these guys want to get prepped up and put their best foot forward and everything like that. But it was disappointing that everyone else went out and ran, you know, even with injuries, some guys that we'll talk about soon went out and ran and, and did their thing and put it out there and Higgins did not. So maybe he runs better or runs, period at his Clemson Pro Day, but that's disappointing for a guy that I had in my top 10 wide receivers, and maybe we can kind of couch this discussion under that framework because I did put out my, my top 10 wide receivers before the combine, and I wanted to get it out there to show, hey, I'm not I'm not uh, making these rankings just based on 40 times because as, as I pointed out on Twitter last night, the average 40 time of a top 10 receiver last year in yards was 4.54, so it's not the end-all be-all. Like You want a, a certain requisite speed, and then for the deep guys, you want to make sure that they have that trump card and, and they have that speed, but it's not the end-all be-all. So my top, and, and I think my number one kind of reflects this, my number one receiver coming into the combine was CeeDee Lamb out of Oklahoma, and there's a clip on my timeline and also going around the timeline of CeeDee Lamb just having a crazy catch on one of those those end zone fades that that weird drill that they uh that they added to the combine this year where CeeDee Lamb just goes up, elevates, turns in the air, rips one away, full extension, just a beautiful catch from CeeDee Lamb. And you know, he runs four or five. And I'm completely fine with that from CeeDee Lamb. That's actually what I expected him to run. And, and I've been listening a lot to different draft podcasts and whatnot, and people are like, you know, Lamb's not the fastest, but he just always seems to get open. It just always seems to work. And in the open field, he's just incredible with the ball in his hands. So everything from CeeDee Lamb, like nothing nothing moved the needle for him on, on that testing. I think he's a top 10 prospect. And I think he probably goes in the top 10 in, the, in this loaded class. 
And another uh, winner, well, you know, Lamb wasn't a winner, but it was like, hey, this is fine, you know, moving on to the next guy. But my number two in my rankings, and this is where I got a little bit of kickback, was Henry Ruggs from Alabama. Let's talk about Ruggs. Ruggs had a 4-2-7-40, a disappointing 4-2-7-40 official. Disappointing. You could tell he was upset with it. He wanted to break the record set by John Ross. I mean, it's incredible to have a disappointing 4-2-4-7. Now, everyone knew that Ruggs was fast. And when I put in my grading for, for these rankings that I'm talking about right here, and I put Ruggs at two, I had his athletic testing score pretty much maxed out. I, I, I expected this. I don't know if I expected 42 inches on the vert. I, I knew he was going to be around 40, but 42 inches, really just the icing on the cake. So 4-2-7 with a 42-inch vert. I mean, he's just checking boxes all the way. And like I've said about this guy, and I said this about a thousand times about rugs. The interview part of the combine is a lot more important than people think. And it's one of those important parts of this process along with the, with the medicals. Like the testing is is probably the least important, but there are certain guys that got to check certain box. Henry Ruggs isn't one of those guys. You can see he's fast on film. This is an uber competitive guy that general managers and coaches are going to absolutely fall in love with. Now, is it fate that some smart guy in the production truck there panned Doug Peterson right before Ruggs ran his 40. Maybe it is. But I think if the Eagles want to go get Ruggs, they're going to have to trade up to do it. I do not think he's going to be there at 21. It's just too much speed. His trump card his, is too good. And with Ruggs, it's not just the speed. Like, And part of the reason why he landed as my number two wide receiver is the fact that he is a complete wide receiver. The coaching that these Alabama receivers get in college is, is top notch. They really coach these guys up. And the improvement that I saw from Ruggs from 2018 to 2019 as a route runner and from a release standpoint, I mean, that tells me that this guy takes well to coaching. He's working on his craft. He's doing his thing. He's doing all the right things to be a professional in the league. So I don't think he's just a speed guy. I think the guys that say that Henry Ruggs is only fast, I think those people are really, they, they just got the blinders on, man, because he's much more than that. So he's my wide receiver two. He was one of my winners on the day. And going to my wide receiver three, let's talk about Jerry Judy from Alabama. I, another guy like Lamb. You know, he comes out, runs a four four six. That's about what I expected from from Judy. I have I have no issues with that whatsoever. And you know, everything else pretty much checked out okay for him. So he, he he's a guy that I have had penciled in as like a top wide receiver since his high school days. And, and I really don't follow high school prospects like that. I really don't watch the camps like that. But I just happened, you know, years ago to come across a clip of uh, it was a reel of Jerry Judy at one of these like Nike camps or something like that, and just watching the way that this guy moves. And gets in and out of his breaks and the way he sets guys up, even as a high schooler, his releases and his, and his work at the break point, his technique. And then you go to Alabama and you get that type of coaching like Judy's a high floor prospect and he's going to give you a lot year one like he is ready to go. So Judy checks check, you know, the necessary boxes and you really didn't have to. I mean, I think we all knew what Judy was on film and the combine really didn't stand out for him either, you know, in a great way, which he didn't need or in a bad way. Judy stands pat as my wide receiver three. Wide receiver four is where we get into some trouble. And this was one of my losers on the night. And a lot of people were interested in the way that LaVisca Chenault was going to run. And people were saying, you know, he might be in the four threes. You know, he, I thought he was maybe like a four, four, five guy, like around there. Like his play speed is is good for a bigger dude, you know, around 220 pounds. Runs a four, five, nine. 
And it's it's weird to kind of know what to do with that because Chenault was a guy who had to come in, and the most important thing for him was not the 40. It was the medical checks because he's got two surgeries in his history. He was dealing with a lot of different nagging injuries throughout his career. Like He always played nine or more games, but the guy has had surgeries on his history and, and a bunch of nagging injuries that, that have lingered. So coming into the combine, clearing those medical checks was important. Now, he runs a 4.59, four, four, and then he doesn't run the second time. So my question is, was this a nagging injury from the season that carried over and he tried to gut through it and it just didn't work out for him and that's why he had the slow 40 time and whatnot? Or is this something new that popped up? Did he pull a hammy? Is something wrong with his thigh? Is it his foot? Is it his ankle? I don't know with Chenault. So Chenault is my wide receiver four, but there is a red flag there. And I don't know if any of these injuries that he suffered in college are related at all. I've really kind of dug into his injury history, and and it's hard to make a correlation between some of them, like from foot to shoulder and all this stuff. But for Chenault, for a guy with an injury flag to come into the combine and then either exacerbate or injure something in his initial 40 where he runs a 4.59. It's not a great sign for him and it's not great for his stock. So it's something that like, I think Chanel is per- it's perfectly fast. I, I think he's a probably a 4.4 guy. And for his speed, that that's incredible. So it really doesn't knock him down my board thinking that, you know, he ran a slow 40 and might have been injured during it or got injured during it. But at the same time, like, it's hard for me to know what to do with Chenault because I'm not a doctor. So yeah, like I, I even said in my tweet when I put up my rankings, like I probably draw the line after Chenault when it comes to guys that I would draft at number number 21 for the Eagles. But that's assuming that he has clean medicals. So that part of the process is going to be extremely important for him. Buyer beware on Chenault. Now, let's get to number five, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State was my wide receiver five. And I thought he uh, he, he did well. Four or five flat is the most exciting. I think his play speed, like Chenault and some other guys that I'll, that I'll talk about here, is is faster than that. But he also jumped 40 inches. So there's plenty of explosion in his game. And I think that's what we saw on tape. I think he's a silky smooth route runner. I think he's got silky hips. He can get in and out of his breaks. He is a demon after the catch, man. He was eighth in the nation with 10.9 yards after the catch. That's extremely impressive. He's one of my favorite prospects. I know Daniel Jeremiah is super high on him too. He has him like in his top 20. But 10.9 yards after the catch. He was also eighth in the country in screen yards. They target him so much on screens because they wanted to get him in space. He's just awesome with the ball in his hands. They wanted to give him room to operate. So Ayuk is the guy if you're looking for for big plays. He's that guy. That four five flat forty doesn't doesn't change anything for me. I, I'm gonna be in love with this guy throughout the process. I love this film, and I think he's gonna be a good one in the pros. Now, is he gonna be there? You know, in the second round with the Eagles pick. Remember, I put that line after Chenault. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he will. I don't know if the Eagles trade back. Maybe the trade up. You know, the, a lot of different things can happen from now until then and on draft night. So we'll see. But Ayuk is definitely one of my favorite players in the class. Like he is what. People wanted Nelson Aguilar to be. And I I know that's kind of like, oh, Nelson Aguilar, oh, oh, no. But like drops aren't an issue for him. The confidence is an issue for him. Ayuk has the juice. I don't care that he's a Pac-12 receiver. I think that's all overblown. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk about more of these winners and losers from the NFL Combine. We'll get through the rest of my top 10 receivers. That's coming up next right here on BGN. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back here on BGN episode six of these 2020 BGN draft specials. Michael Kist riding solo with you here this morning. And what I've been talking about is my top 10 wide receivers. We got through one through five. Let's get to six because I think there, there are three different tiers in my top 10. There's one to three, which is Lamb, Ruggs, Judy. Then there's four to six, which is Chenault, Ayuk, Rager. And then there's seven to 10, and we'll talk about those guys in a second. But the last guy in the second bucket that I have in the second tier is Jalen Rager from TCU. Now, these guys from four to six, they can alternate pretty easily. They are super, super tight. All 10 of these guys from my list are top 50 prospects. That's how tight things are. But within this tier, within tier two, Jalen Rager comes in, and he had one of the most confusing combines that that I can remember because he starts out he starts out right he jumps 42 inches on the vert he hits 11 six on the broad these are fantastic numbers and you're thinking okay ho-hum this is exactly the type of explosiveness that i expected from jalen rager that really doesn't move the needle for me it's nice to confirm but like with some of the other, some of these other guys like this is what i expected this is what i saw on film so this this was verified which was nice but then you see that he put on some bulk for the combine which is okay his his playing weight was a little light he comes in at 206 which is 11 pounds heavier than he was listed at at TCU and far from competing with rugs for the fastest 40 time which he was supposed to do he clocked in at 447 I thought he was supposed to be a 4-3 guy, a low 4-3 guy. Did 11 pounds really make that much of a difference? I think his play speed is better than that. I don't think his play speed is better than KJ Hamler's. I don't think it's better than Henry Ruggs's. But I think his play speed is plenty darn fast because those guys are just speed demons. And like I've said already, the jumps show that Rager has plenty of explosiveness in his game. Jumps confirm all of that. But then, not only was the 40 time disappointing at 4-4-7, he runs the three cone, which, you know, let me see some fluidity on those hips. And he looks all yoked up and he runs a 7-3-1 in the three cone, which was one of the worst among the wideouts. That's slower than Tom Brady. I don't know what to do with that because I didn't see that type of stiffness on film. So I don't want to place an outsized emphasis on that. I, I know Rager. I've, I've, I've watched his film. I've seen him break guys off. I, I think he has the potential to do that. Now, TCU had him in a limited route tree, so he didn't get to see it all the time. But when he did get a chance, I thought he was he was shifty enough. I, I wouldn't say he's the, the most fluid guy, but he wasn't 7-3-1 in the three cone stiff. I don't know if that's a thing with the weight. He wasn't comfortable with it or it was just a bad drill. Maybe he slipped. I haven't seen the actual video of it. We don't know. But I, I think we're going to get to a point where just like with DK Metcalf last year, and look, these are very two very different people. I don't think you can make the same excuse for Rager. You know, DK Metcalf is a gigantic human being. Rager is not nearly as big. But I do think people are going to put an outsized emphasis on this poor three cone for Rager. Uh, Rieger's production obviously, you know, didn't affect my ranking of him. In 2018, he was over a thousand yards. 2019, he has like the fourth highest rate of uncatchable balls thrown his way from the abysmal quarterback play there at TCU. So I think this guy's production is completely fine from college and it, and it didn't change my ranking. But the combine is confusing. You expected the guy to run into four threes. 
and he doesn't. The play speed wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be on film. And then also something that I talked about with with Ben on a Kiss and Solak show, like the competitive toughness for for Rieger, Rager, excuse me, wasn't there on film the way that I expected it to be. After the catch, he seemed very interested in going out of bounds and leaking yards that way. He wasn't too physical at the catch point. I thought contact affected him a little bit more than it should. I, I just uh, blocking. He had no interest at times whatsoever in blocking. And then when selling some of these decor routes, I mean, he, this this comes down to the play speed. It just it didn't seem like he was too interested in that. So I've got a lot of questions about he's probably going to be along with Chanel, like the most difficult evaluation in all of this. Now, at wide receiver seven, I had T. Higgins from Clemson. That is definitely subject to change. I like T. Higgins. I think he's going to be a perfectly cromulent ex-wide receiver, you know, tethered to the line in the NFL. I don't know how much I like him. And I think he's one of the more polarizing prospects. But I think this this whole 40 thing, I don't know. I, I kind of soured on him after that. And I got to watch some more film on him. But I think Higgins is a good player. I didn't, again, I didn't like the whole rest excuse. And I think he's a four, five, seven type of guy. I don't think he's the four, four guy that he's claiming to be. If he runs four, four at Clemson, who cares? The pro day, they're going <laughs> to, those times are different. Maybe, you know, you got to ask around and ask the scouts, what you hand time him at? And kind of find out, you know, get Charlie Cashley out there, as he always is with the stopwatch. Number eight is another guy that didn't run, unfortunately. KJ Hamler. We already talked about him. Super juicy. Super juicy on film. Uh, number nine is a guy that I had as a winner. And that's Justin Jefferson from LSU. Purely slot guy last year for LSU in that offense. In fact, I think he had the most slot yards and slot receptions in college football last year. Now, he comes out and runs a 4-4-3, which is a fantastic, fantastic time frame. It may even officially have moved to a 4-4-2, if I'm not mistaken. I'll verify that as we talk through this. But, I mean, this is a guy that that, that came in and uh, people had him all over the place on the draft board. I think, you know, from, from 4 to 10, I think, is where people have just a huge disparity on their draft boards. But like I said... They could all be in the top 50. They're all very good players. So, I mean, the 4-4-3 at 6'1", 202 pounds, super sure-handed. It is hard to find what he doesn't do well on his film, right? Like, so I grade all these different traits, and there's like 10 different traits, and some of them are weighted and whatnot, and they're like, you know, I'll grade them, you know, on a on the Scouting Academy scale, and then I'll, I'll weight them from there. So it's like 1 to 7. I don't think I had a single aspect where Jefferson wasn't at least a 4 but I don't think there's a single aspect where I had him at or maybe other maybe other than body control. I think he's got fantastic body control, but like a six or a seven. So he's like a, a four to five. That's solid to, you know, above average, like kind of kind of through the line there. Jefferson is a guy is I think it's going to he's going to be a high floor guy. He's going to be a dependable target that's going to be in around uh, around the league for a long time. So I thought the four, four, three time. Really helped him out. I really like his tape. I want to like him more. I want to see more outside reps from him and whatnot. But Jefferson's a good player. He's going to go high, possibly even like late first round is the type of buzz that that he's going to get. So I thought it was a good day from him. You know, really helped his stock and, and check check that box with the 40 times. So fantastic time for him. Number 10 in my, my pre-combined wide receiver rankings was Denzel Mims from Baylor. And Denzel Mims has had the best pre-draft process that I can remember from a guy because I was there in Mobile and I, I hadn't seen Mims on film really. I'd seen him in some live games or whatever and, and, and saw that, you know, this is this is a good player. This is this is a really good player. But I hadn't watched film on him before I went to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And during the Senior Bowl practices, 
Mims was just playing grown man ball out there. And he was dominant at the catch point and he had enough juice. But like his red zone work, like nobody could contend with Mims in the air. I don't remember anybody, you know, having a really good rep against him. He just won all week, every route. He just won. So it was a really impressive performance from Mims. And that really kind of put him on my radar there. And then, you know, time goes by and whatnot. I think I maybe like watched one game of him or whatever. And I had a tentative grade on him, which which put him at 10 for me because I was I was high enough on him. And I like you know, how he projects. I, th- I still think he has a ways to go as a route runner. But I do think that he has made improvements. And I thought when I when I put in his athletic score, which was a little bit lower than it should have been, apparently, that I that he had enough athleticism to project more into a, a fuller route tree and, and these different things. But during the combine, I mean, the. He wins again. So he wins at the senior bowl. He's a stud there. And then he absolutely crushes the NFL combine. At 6'3, 207 pounds is a big boy. A 4-3-8 40-yard dash. Dude's in the 4-3s at 6'3, 207. I love it. 38 and a half inch vert. He's got a 10-11 broad. And and here's the thing. Remember when I talked about Rager's three cone? He had a 7-3-1. Denzel Mims had a 6.663 cone by far the best among the wide receivers who at 63207 is running a 6.663 cone with that kind of fluidity I mean from A to Z Denzel Mims has absolutely crushed this process and I think I'm going to end up agreeing with uh, Dame Brugler of the Athletic and he said on Twitter last night wherever you have Mims you are not high enough now, Dane's connected with guys in the NFL and talks with these guys and a lot of the guys in the NFL and executives and scouts and whatnot and, and is plugged in in that manner. So I'm assuming what everyone is saying about Mims right now in that community is that his draft stock is higher than I think we think it is. And he's not just rising because of the combine. He was already rising because of the senior bowl and because of the film, too. So there, there's a guy that I definitely want to dig in and watch, you know, three to four games today, maybe even five games today of him. That's one guy that I'm I'm going right to the film on because I think I'm too low on him. And I hate and I hate that excuse like, oh, I gotta go back to the film. You know, I was too I was I was too low on him after the combine, right? It's such a cop out. But like out of these ten guys, I think Mims is the one where I'm like, yeah, let me let me watch some more film. Cause like I said, I've maybe watched a couple games on him, seen him live, senior at the senior bowl, really liked him. Now I want to see, like, okay, with this testing, did I miss the fact that he's that athletic on the field? I thought he was plenty athletic, but I did I miss how athletic he was. And then I want to see, you know, some of his catch point stuff and stuff like that. So Mims is a guy that I'm going to be watching today for sure. Uh, the other guy that I need to watch, and this is now getting outside of my top 10, but it's something, somebody that I actually considered because the height, weight, speed profile, like these are the types of guy that you take swings on despite the lack of production in college. Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan, 44 and a half inch vert, tied with two others for the best in combine history among wide receivers in history. He also had an 11-7 broad jump. That is bonkers. Now, he followed that up. He had a 4.5640 yard dash, but then he quickly recovered and had a solid 4.48. So it was a really great night for Donovan Peoples-Jones getting under that 4.5. And those jumps are just insane, man. Like, I can't tell you how wild a 44.5 inch vert is. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a guy I had not watched film on yet. And that is going to change today 
for sure. And this guy was a heavily coveted five-star recruit coming into Michigan. And among the draftable wide receivers, PFF had him with a, with a crazy, uncatchable target rate. Like Jay Patterson, just his scattershot accuracy was so bad last year. He should have never gone to Mobile. I thought he was a bad quarterback, and I think I don't think he's going to stick in the pros at all. Screw the Detroit Lions for making me watch him all week. But Shea Patterson did things to Donovan Peoples-Jones' stock that should that should be outlawed. So Peoples-Jones, with that kind of profile, that's the kind of guy that you bet on in those mid-rounds after the top guys are gone. And that's somebody that I really want to examine on film and see, was it the quarterback play that that hindered him and, and hurt his stock and whatnot? Is this a guy that, that really has the juice that is being overlooked because of a situation in Michigan? And we'll, and we'll see. And that's something that I'll probably be writing up for BleedingGreenNation.com. Speaking of BleedingGreenNation.com, like I said, I've got winners and losers up there. I've got plenty of write-ups. I've got what the analytics say about these guys. All this stuff going up there. I'm going to be doing winners and losers for each day of the combine with some quotables. And we'll be doing a ton of different content. We'll have some more podcasts for you as well. I probably should have had a guest on today. But like I said, I was so fired up to record. I was just like, I'm not waiting for anybody to get back to me. I'm going to get these thoughts on audio, get them out into the world. And hopefully you guys enjoyed this. So thank you. For joining me on this solo journey to the draft. <laughs> Shout out to Fran Duffy. Um, didn't mean to do that. But make sure you're subscribed to BGN. Hit five stars. Give a written review. All that good stuff. We really appreciate it. It's been a gigantic year for us. And we couldn't do it without you, gentle listeners. So thank you for that. And hey, we're going to have more podcasts coming to you throughout the week as we cover this combine. All throughout the process. So keep it here at BGN. Yeah.